0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: G'day, mates. It's B Buster here. So before the episode begins, I would just like to say a huge thank you to CastBox for helping me make the CastBox original, Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, and you can find all of your favorite podcasts there. Personally, I think CastBox is the best podcasting platform out there, and I hope you guys check it out, because I think you'll be surprised at just how much variety they have, and how user-friendly their app is. Anyway guys, thanks for listening, and without further ado, let's begin. The Showers, Part 5, by Clover10176. The walls were groaning around us, the noise concentrated above me. What is that? Asked Karen. It sounds like something's going to... Ex- Ice-cold water rained down onto me from above, instantly soaking me from head to toe. I gasped hard, taking in a deep breath and some of the liquid along with it, while my every muscle tensed up from the shock and the cold. I could taste a rust or maybe iron or something. Before I could think about it for too long, my body acted without me and coughed and sputtered to rid my lungs of the tainted water. I fell once again to my knees. I knew exactly what hung a couple of feet above my head, despite the complete lack of light, but... I didn't care. I wanted nothing more than to be out of this place, but I didn't move from underneath the showerhead. I looked up and let the freezing rain pour directly onto my face, and I let it swallow me. If some cold water was all this place held for me, then I really did have nothing much to fear. I heard a loud and deep rumble that seemed to emanate from within the walls around me, and Karen screamed. I heard water pour onto the ground from my left, then my right, then in front of me and then behind. Still, I sat there while my hands pruned, feeling my breath turn to ice as it left my lungs. Despite the extremity of the situation, I began to feel calm from within me and slowly spread my arms out of my sides. The showers rained down around me, a symphony of crystal clear noise from the creaking pipes to the dull splatter of each droplet of liquid as it hit the ground fell over me. Every sound was clear and full now. The sound itself was so full that it almost illuminated the room in fact, carving out every last nook. I took it all in and I accepted it. If this place wanted me, it could have me, I had made a pilgrimage to the place that birthed the subhuman thing that I had become over the last several years. If it wanted me back, I wasn't going to put up a fight. I could hear Karen screaming my name and telling me that we needed to get the fuck out of here. But the showers grew louder, drowning around. But this was more important. My body began to numb and my skin began to sting with every drop of water that hit it. A sense of instability, strangling like vertigo, began to overtake me. I opened my eyes, still seeing only darkness, but feeling something else now. I was Mr. Mays, back in his classroom. My classroom. Recounting the story of this place to my students. I was in the tunnels carrying my friend Steve, the man who first ventured to this place with me years ago, away from an approaching darkness behind us. He was bleeding from a head wound. I was reaching upwards in bed, sweating, soaking my sheets and crying. I was at a bar, telling me my, I mean, Mr. Maze's story, struggling to find the right words while I ordered another... A dull, wet thud rang out a few feet to my left, snapping me back to my body. Karen had fallen and screamed my name, which now rang out loudly above the noise of the showers. Jack, what's going on? She said as I heard what I could only assume to be her body drag across the muddy floor away from me. I could... I could feel again. I was freezing cold too. My injured hand could hardly move, in fact. I began to crawl forward as fast as I could manage towards the sound of her screams. They were going to find her body so that we could show them. No. I'm not thinking straight. There wasn't going to be a body. We were going to get out of this darkness. No one was going to be lost here. I threw my body in the vague direction of her screams, reaching out as far as I could with my arm. Despite being unable to feel much of it now. She immediately grabbed for me and I just closed my hand as tightly as I could around part of her denim jacket. I pulled her close and wrapped my legs tightly around her. She wrapped her arms around me and buried her head into my chest. Her screams were only slightly muffled at this point. I let her have that. I didn't know what else to do. I just held her as tightly as I could and looked out into the darkness... I don't know what I was looking for. Her screams eventually turned into loud sobbing as the water pressure from the shower heads audibly died down, eventually stopping completely. We lay there together in the freezing mud for quite a few minutes. Eventually, Karen's sobs quieted. We, we, need to, we need to stand up, okay? I stuttered, frozen. I loosened the vice grip that I had on her and stumbled to my feet. I didn't let myself lose eye contact with her for a moment. She rose to meet me and we were as close together as possible. I certainly had no idea where we were at in relation to anything down there and I'm not sure that she did either. We just we just gotta find a wall, okay? I locked my arms with hers and moved to my right, which was as good a place to start as many. After about ten long shuffles, I bumped into a solid cement wall. I couldn't tell if it was just covered in ice or if I was just so numb that I couldn't feel the coarse cement anymore. It was likely a bit of both. Karen kept her head against my shoulder and I started to feel emotional. Angry that she had forced me to come back to this place. But the anger led into sadness. She was going to have to carry this with her from now on. I should have never let this happen. I should have stopped her or told her that I made it all up. I was muttering to myself under my breath. The rusty pipes creaking around us. With each noise, I felt my stomach heave. Despite the numbness, my jaw throbbed in pain. I wanted to give up at this point. I was so tired and just so afraid. I wasn't strong enough and I knew it. I wasn't the person who was going to save his girlfriend and come out of this a hero or anything. I didn't even think that we were going to get out at all. I was lost in thought and putting most of my weight against the wall as I moved us along it. I was not expecting a sharp corner but I felt my shoulder push into suddenly empty space. I managed to get one hand onto the corner of the wall as I fell, but that did nothing when my feet gave way in the mud beneath me. I fell hard, my head bouncing off the ground with a thud. I was instantly sure that I had broken some fingers on my right hand. That the angles seemed completely wrong when I rubbed them against my cheek. I screamed, mostly out of frustration which caused Karen, now alone somewhere in the darkness above me, to scream back. We were yelling at each other. After a time, we were too exhausted and out of breath to continue. I focused on my breathing and tried to bring myself back. I sat up, pushing my left hand through the icy mud to ease myself to my feet. I felt something on the ground. It was smooth, but not like cement. Like metal. It was small and... I gripped it in my hand as best as I could as I stood up. My legs weren't going to hold out for long and I was getting the spins but I couldn't tell if it was from the booze or the possible concussion or the disorientating darkness but Karen was quickly at my side somehow. She grabbed my hands and pulled herself close to me. I'm so sorry. We shouldn't have come here. I didn't believe you. She said in quick successive breaths. I didn't care. I didn't want an apology. I wanted to scream at her and spoon her at the same time. I wanted to be fighting with her about something stupid in my apartment. The space around us filled with a mess of conflicting emotions. I felt a shrink but was brought suddenly back when Karen broke the silence. What do you you have in your hand? She asked. I had managed to hold on to the object. We both felt around it, desperately trying to get a sense for what it was. It could have been a piece of one of the shower heads for all we knew, but for a second there was hope that it was our solution. It was sort of cylindrical. It was mostly metal. It had a clip on it. I rolled it around in my hands, careful not to let it go. It had a button. I recognised it. It was a little flashlight. The kind hikers fastened to their backpack. It's a it's a flashlight. I stuttered. My fingertips could feel the button, but couldn't quite press it hard enough. You, you've got to help me, okay? Push the switch. The light was hardly blinding. Both Karen and I prepared to shield our eyes, but were surprised by the weakness of the light that outside of the main beam did little to help our situation. Once our eyes had adjusted slightly, we could see the shower head surrounding us in a rundown and filthy room that seemed to have no exit. It looked and smelled like a pigsty. Mud and dirt covered the floor and walls. She wrapped her arms around me and I held her against my chest. Close your eyes, okay? Just, just keep them closed. I told her. The loud wailing of a doe started on my left and quickly enveloped us like it was coming from surround sound speakers that we couldn't see. Karen covered her ears and her frozen hands. The tips of her fingers were bright red now, or maybe even purple. It was hard to tell from the weak light of the flashlight, but I kept the beam centered on us as much as I could. I didn't care that whatever was out there could see us. The light gave us some sort of warmth or, at the very least, a sense of solidity. The noise began to die down until we were left once again in silence. We have to move back to the tunnel, okay? You have to help me find it, I said. Karen nodded, tearing her face away from my chest. Her tears had actually frozen her cheek to my sweater. I could see a rim of ice around the red mark on her cheek. It's back that way, I think she said, pointing to our left. The light didn't do much to penetrate the darkness, but I trusted her. We began to shuffle through the mud, which was now the consistency of a slushy. It had seeped into my boots, but it didn't really matter. Every inch of me was covered in rusty water and frost anyway. A little more cold wouldn't hurt me. Every few steps the flashlight would dim or flicker, I could feel Karen tense up every time I was forced to give it a shake, rolling the dice on how long it would continue to help us. At one point, it went out completely, in fact. She dug her fingers into my side and I shook it. Nothing happened. I hit it with the palm of my hand several times and nothing happened. Please, please. I muttered under my breath as I hit the switch off and on several times in rapid succession. I couldn't let it go. It was all that we had down in those tunnels. The only thing keeping us, or maybe just me from losing myself to the darkness. After a few more attempts, there was light. But the light was across the room. An exposed bulb, maybe 40 feet across from us, came to life. It was dim, but... It was enough to light up a significant portion of the space in front of us. About ten feet in front of the bulb and thirty feet from us stood the unmistakable silhouette of a buck, head bent down towards the ground. It had a large set of antlers, twelve points if I had to guess. Unable to grasp what I was seeing, I let the dead flashlight fall from my hands to the ground. Metal slapped against the cement and the small bit of the glass cracked like a stick snapping under a boot in the forest. The buck tensed up and quickly rose to attention. His antlers scraped hard against the low ceiling. Some of the points were grinding against it while others cracked and broke off. The animal didn't even seem to notice. Or, well, at the very least, didn't seem to care. As it turned its attention towards our general direction... Karen began to tug hard on my sweater. We we, uh, we have to k- get out. K- keep moving, okay? She said, quietly. We continued down the path before us while the stag began weakly bleating. A jolt of pain shot through my temples. The noise went on continuously. One long whine that should have been interrupted by a breath at some point, but just kept going. There was... An echo. G'day mates. So, I just wanted to take a quick break before the second half of the story to thank all of you guys for listening to Be Scared. If you're a new listener, welcome to The Hive. And if you're a long-time fan, thanks for checking out the podcast. If you could please take a moment to do me a favour to rate and review the show, that would be a huge help. And if you have any stories that you would like to submit for future episodes, you can send them to my email at bish.busta at gmail.com. That's B-I-S-H dot at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and without further ado, here's the rest of the story. I looked behind us as we shuffled through the dark, and I could see the glint of light reflecting off the eye of the beast. It was looking at me. It was tracking me. I turned my head and heard several other bulbs come to life on the far side of the room. But I dared not look back. A door came into view in front of us. The paint was stripped. The wood was aged and cracked from years of weathering. Even still, I was able to get a sense of the brilliant red that used to cover the door. The knocker was missing a screw and it hung limply. Off center. The knob still had some shine to it. I could see the reflection of the lights behind us in it as we moved closer. I went to reach my hand out to grasp the knob, but Karen had already beaten me to it. She grabbed it and twisted. The internal metal mechanism shifted loudly, quieting the bleating of the buck in the distance. The door cracked and creaked evenly as Karen peeled her hand from the ice cold metal. The wood began to split. The cracks moved rapidly outwards from the knob, crawling across the wood until they reached the hinges. The door shifted and began to tip downwards. It was going to fall on us, and I didn't have enough strength to stop it. It began to tilt, and I raised my hand up and shielded Karen's head while trying to move us out from the way. Fortunately, the door caught on the old screws in the middle and lower hinges. It swung around to the left, right in front of us, and... I felt the rush of cold air as it brushed within an inch of my face and slammed awkwardly into the wall. It fell to the ground with a resounding crash. Through the doorway, I could make out familiar winding tunnels. The ceiling rose and sank like a roller coaster. This seemed to be part of some twisted design. In some places, you could find no more than three feet of clearance from top to bottom, but right now, there was none the metal sheeting that had held the earth at bay, it had given way at this point. This couldn't have been how we had gotten in, and it certainly wasn't how we were getting out. Fuck, I said, exhausted. My lungs were burning, and my mind was still on fire. Every motion that I made was out of instinct, because I couldn't properly process what the hell was happening around me. Neither of us turned around. We stood in front of the doorway staring at the caved-in tunnel that had seemingly sealed our fate. Karen tried to cry but had nothing left in her and I couldn't blame her. I grabbed her hand and held onto it tightly as more lights flickered to life behind us. Surely if we turned around we would be able to at least see another exit but the uncertainty of what else we might see stopped us. I heard the hard clapping of a set of hooves on the ground, somewhere behind us. Then another, and another. I saw the shadows of what were unmistakably humans growing smaller as they moved towards us. It was the children. I was sure of it. Even amidst the already overwhelming stench, I could smell them. Pennies and vinegar. Their robes dragged across the mud and their hair covered them having grown down past their knees now. Karen gripped my hand back, and two shadows moved along the walls, then five, ten, and after that I lost count. More bulbs came to life, and the frost that had built up on the cement walls began to melt. Each new light source caused the shadows to fade more. There seemed to be antlers atop the heads of some of the children before they were drowned out completely by more light. The room was warming now. One of them flickered just a couple of feet to my left. On my right, Karen's head turned upward. There, protruding several feet from the wall, was a shower head. It was old and rusty and caked with frost. It looked fragile, in fact. With her free hand, she reached upwards and grabbed a hold of the pipe and pulled downward, squeezing on my hand as if she was using me for leverage. It broke off with surprising ease. Karen pulled back into my shoulder as water sprayed into the room behind us. I could hear feet skittering through the mud and away from the jet of ice. Karen turned to face me, her eyes mostly closed, and she buried her face in my chest. She offered me the shower head with the weapon. I took the rusted metal pipe in my hand, and for the first time in ages, I felt like I actually had a little bit of control, a choice to make the footsteps around us grew closer of picking up speed. I swung the pipe through the air to my left and it smashed through the bulb with ease. Shattered glass rained into the mud as to my surprise the other lights in the room began to extinguish. One by one the room just fell back into darkness. I didn't know if it was better to die in the light or in the dark but at least I got to break something this way. I heard the familiar bleating once again, alongside the dying cry of the doe. The footsteps were pretty close now, only feet away. I hugged Karen as tightly as I could when the last bulb went out. And there we stood in the darkness once more, surrounded only by screams of creatures that we couldn't see. I finally turned my head to face the room, still holding onto Karen. The bulbs had died, but... The filaments still had a light glow to them. It looked like the glow that follows a camera flash, and as my eyes adjusted, I could still make out the silhouettes of the children. Some of them were no more than an arm's length away. There was a familiar anger in the air around them. They hated me as much as I feared them, and maybe it was for the same reason. I couldn't even guess what was going to happen once they got a hold of us, but I hoped that I would. At the very least, not be afraid anymore. The filaments in the bulbs cooled completely and the darkness settled. I closed my eyes. I'm sorry. I spoke into the top of Karen's head. The children were right on us now and I could feel a warm breath on the back of my neck. I snapped my eyes shut and without warning, it ceased the moisture on my back began to cool. Feet flew through the mud away from us. They were fleeing. The bleating and crying of the animals stopped abruptly and in seconds the room had settled into a deathly silence. I slowly opened one eye and looked upwards. About 10 feet in front of us was a ray of bright light. It was powerful cutting through the dark and shining straight onto Karen and I. It made the frost on her bright red hair twinkle and I had no idea what I was looking at and briefly considered that I was wrong about religion before I heard the familiar growl of a, a car engine. My eyes adjusted and I could see that the light was coming from a hole in the ceiling where wooden boards had collapsed long ago. I couldn't fucking believe it. I didn't say a word as a car door slammed and Brian's voice echoed down into the hole. Uh, hello? His voice rang out, filling the room. Karen looked up and broke away from me. Uh, There was a sense of relief in her eyes that her face didn't show. She moved quickly. Brian, you get us out of this fucking hole right now and I'll buy you your own grow house. (laughs) Promise? He laughed. I assumed that they could see each other now. Karen was looking up at the hole with a glare. She was bathed in light and I stood there and slowly began to move towards her. My knee popped and my joints ached. I was dizzy and confused, but this felt real. Tangible. Okay, but it's not going to be easy, yelled Brian. This rope is kind of icy, but I don't really have another option and... I'm still a little bit high, so it's going to have to work. How the hell did you guys get down there anyway? Karen didn't answer as Brian dropped down on old purple climber's rope. She grabbed it and began to ascend like her life depended on it. Brian was grunting from above and jokingly commenting on how she had gained weight. but She was up and out of the hole within seconds, and I was left alone in the room. I looked around me. The space was smaller than it had seemed just minutes ago. The walls were cracked, the mud had mostly frozen solid, and the showers were empty. You coming, Jack? Asked Brian as I finally made it under the hole. I grabbed the rope tightly and looked behind me, towards the decrepit red door that now lay on the ground. In the tunnel behind it, I could make out the shape of a, a person just standing beyond the reach of the light. I turned my back to them. With some help from Brian, I pulled myself out of the hole and onto the frozen ground outside. I breathed the fresh air into my lungs. I was finally free of the stench of that place, but my stomach was still in knots. The moon was reflecting off the snow and the ice, lighting up the clearing around us. I could see Karen pacing near the car, she was staying in front of the headlights. She stopped and fixed her vision on the edge of the trees. It began to sink in that she was now going to have to live with the same terror that I had lived with for the rest of her life. It was always going to be my fault too. I was on the verge of tears when Brian helped me to my feet. I still hadn't decompressed and my jaw was clenched shut and I was sure that I had chipped a tooth. Every part of me was numb now, and my clothes were frozen to my skin. Karen began to cry. She yelled, it's right here, and pointed towards the trees as Brian dropped me and ran to her. I slumped down and just stared at the ground. There was nothing to be done, and if there was, I didn't know what it was. I was as much of a mess as she was. Her cry started to blend into the background as my mind wandered back to Mr. Mays. I wondered what he would have done in this situation, but remembered that he had been in this same kind of scenario and his solution had been to drink himself stupid. That didn't seem like just a bad idea for the time being. I just, I needed a sip. I reached into my jacket pocket, pulled out the flask and opened it and took a sniff. To my surprise it burned my nostrils like a gasoline. It made me nauseous in fact. I closed it and looked behind me at the hole in the ground and I tossed the flask down into the dark. I didn't hear it hit the bottom. I stood up and walked towards Karen whose cries were now more sporadic. She was jumping at her own shadow as a confused and stoned Brian tried to help her. Man, what's going on? He asked. Just just make sure the car's ready to go, okay? I told him as I passed by without eye contact. Karen saw me coming and she froze. I took her hands and held them in my own. Jack, how is it like that? How were they like that? What was any of that? She rambled, unsure of what she had seen and what she wanted to ask. Eventually, she just broke down. She bawled and I just held her there. It was all I could do. She hit me out of frustration a few times, but still, I just let her go. I didn't know how to help her at this point, but I could listen and I could be a punching bag. I eased her over to the car and sat her in the back seat, wrapping her in as many blankets as I could and buckling her in. As I walked around to the other side of the car, I looked back at the hole in the ground one last time. I heard voices, but they were probably just in my head. Brian drove through the trees as quickly as he could. Several times he seemed to begin a question, but stopped himself. He told us how he'd been in the car when he saw a light coming out of the ground and he thought was one of us waving him over. We didn't react. There was a weight hanging over Karen and I that he didn't want to disturb. The questions could wait. I don't even know if he ever got around to them in fact. Karen wasn't asleep but her eyes were closed tightly. I was, uh, I was buzzing as we drove away. It wasn't until we crossed the threshold of the tree line that I was able to loosen the vice grip that I held onto the door handle. The electricity faded as the top of the trees that surrounded the showers were overtaken by the stars. I felt my insides began to relax. The dam that had been holding something inside me back finally burst and I asked Brian to pull over. He obliged almost immediately without a word. I stumbled out of the car and began throwing up on the side of the road. The only thing that poured out of me was a thick yellowish bile that hung in the back of my throat before slowly dripping down and out of my body. This was what I deserved. I gagged and felt my eyes bulge as I purged and clawed at my stomach, sore from the continuous heaving. I clenched my fist and hit the ground, causing the wounds on my knuckles to open. I had only taken a quick look at my hand. My middle and ring fingers were broken. It looked like someone had taken a bottle opener to my nail and first knuckle. I shouldn't have left them that way, but I didn't get much of a reprieve before I had to bow again. This was the tail end of an exorcism. What felt like years worth of stress, lies and fear violently erupted from within me until my lips numbed. My stomach slowly relaxed and my ears loudly popped, immediately relieving some of the pressure on the inside of my skull. I felt like I was floating, I was crying and I knew why, but I couldn't quite isolate the thought. Everything was foreign, everything in my brain was misfiring. I was rebooting, I'd made it out. I sat in the dirt long enough that the vomit turned a slush on the ground in front of me. Brian stayed in the car and looked in the other direction. I think I even felt Karen's hand on my back at one point, but But when I was finished, she was in the car staring anywhere else but at me. I collapsed into the vehicle, shaking and soaking wet. Brian started to drive off before I had even shut the door. I saw Karen's lip tremble several times, but she didn't say a word. Honestly, I don't know how she managed that. I felt like I needed to talk about everything. I caught her looking at me only once on the drive back as we passed by the exit for Broken Bow. We forgave each other for everything that happened, though neither of us actually ever said it out loud. We didn't talk about the showers much at all. We had filled that place with what we had brought there, pain and truth about ourselves that we were using each other to hide from. The horror that we had experienced in that place was a dose of, as she had put it so many times before, perspective. It woke us up. I think we both realized, painfully sobering up over the six hour car ride back home, the two of us looking straight out of the windshield without seeing, that we were better off apart. Similar to the way that she had moved into my place, we never really discussed her moving out. Her things just started disappearing. We repeated the old mantra about staying friends for the next week or so but you could practically hear it echo every time. And with a soft kiss on my cheek on a Thursday afternoon she was gone. Karen and I couldn't work because we fit too well together. We were two uniquely fucked up individuals with a penchant for flipping on a dime. It's easy to look back and Long for those nights of cuddling and watching movies together on the couch. It's a a lot harder to remember reality. The night that we watched that movie and she convinced me to return to the showers, for example, was not as serene as I implied. I remember that I had gotten extremely irritated that she had picked that movie because we had watched it the month before and felt a, a deep resentment towards her that almost pushed me to apathy. And all that because of a, a movie. Before that, Karen had called me a, a stupid fuckhead because I hadn't cleaned a cat's litter box. And that was every night. A perfect couple and a perpetual potential domestic dispute rolled into one. Our solution was just to rinse it all down and repeat... We were our own perfect enablers, and we were always heading towards the ending that we got. A broken bow did nothing but illuminate what was already in front of us. I really do hope that she's doing better now. As for me, I couldn't continue to live how I was living after Nebraska. I was so covered in dirt and blood that I was able to have one of those hard look at yourself in the mirror moments in front of an actual mirror and realized exactly how far I'd let myself spiral down. I wasn't drunk or high, but I was both those things because I was broken and needed something to fill the cracks. And I couldn't use that place as an excuse anymore. I couldn't keep trying to change the story. If that sounds like it came from the mouth of a quack therapist, it's because it did. I started going to therapy once every week. Initially for the drinking, but eventually for everything else. I'm not a religious convert or a friend of Bill, but... I respect the journey and anyone willing to take it on. No matter the method needed to make it through. I sure do wish that Mr. had found a way to fight his demons before he left. But... I guess they're our demons, really. And... I'll keep them for the both of us. I'm uh, I'm always going to carry the showers with me. They're a part of who I am, but I don't have to let them kill me anymore. The most important concept that I've learned in these therapy sessions is that you can't get better if you just keep covering up symptoms while ignoring the real source of your unhappiness. Blowing your brain out every night with substances just puts off the inevitable confrontation. You have to treat it like a wart. You have to cut it all the way down to the root and tear it out to get rid of it. To kill it, you have to get every last piece. And that's why I came back here. To this account and this story. There are so many others out there who listened to Mr. Maze's campfire story throughout the years and then moved on like normal people. I fixated and spread it because I just couldn't resist. I can't unwrite my original story, so my next play is to obfuscate. I fully understand that writing this defeats that purpose. Hopefully that won't matter. There is a point to this. The story is yours now. I don't want it anymore. Take the showers and mold them to your needs. Tell the story around a campfire and embellish whatever you'd like. Put yourself in the story or a friend Or a friend of a friend and then use it to get laid. Take your wildest theories about the place and create a story all of your own. Make a movie or a book out of it if you want. Turn it into a local urban legend in your own town. Just drown my story out with uncertainty. Please. In fact, go there. Go find them. Ask every citizen in Broken Bow, Nebraska about them until they just run you out of town. You get lost on dirt roads a few miles east of the city until you stumble upon a place resembling the one that I've described and then tear it apart. Bring your friends and take pictures. Explore the tunnels, light a bonfire, get drunk and throw a party, and then post about it on the internet. Cover the walls and graffiti and the floors with cigarette butts, broken bottles and condom wrappers. Tell everyone you know about it and smother it. Flood the internet with so much speculation and rampant bullshit about that place that no one will ever point back to Mr. Mays or me as the source. Drown us in the noise and let us just fade away in peace. Go there yourself and burn it all. Just don't forget to tell everyone you know about how you did it afterwards. Ah, shit. I'm sorry if I let that go on for so long. That wasn't my intention. Old habits and whatnot. I've been pulling from a dusty flask of whiskey that was next to the laptop in a box. I I guess it counts as aged now. I'm not really on any wagon and after the years of bullshit that I put my body through, a few more nips aren't going to hurt a thing. This is just one more for the road. After this, I'm going to post this, log out of my account. Tear up the sticky note that I saved with my password written on it. Shut down this laptop for what I hope to be the last time. And bury it back under all the junk in my closet alongside this flask. Tomorrow, I'm going to go into my classroom at the community college where I teach a creative writing course. And I'm going to tell my students one of the many versions of the showers that I've told over the years. It isn't Halloween, but maybe... I'll dim the lights and light a candle or two for atmosphere. Mr. Mays would be proud of that. The story that I tell them is not going to be my story anymore. No, I'll tell them the story of what happened to my best friend's brother's ex-girlfriend in some rural part of Pennsylvania a few years back. I'll swear it's the truth too. I can't take back what I did when I posted this story for the whole world to see. And this is my next best move. I take a page from my younger self and spread this story like I'm playing a massive game of telephone that I intentionally want to disrupt and distort. If I wasn't at the heart of it, this could have even been fun. Hell, maybe it still will be. I gave you a story on some dark night five years ago, and the only thing I'm asking in return is for you to take it from make it into something scarier or more violent, more cerebral or more personal, give it a twist ending. My hope is that one day someone will tell me a version of my story, having claimed it as theirs with new facts and faces, and I won't even recognize it until I hear the name that now haunts others' dreams instead of my own. The Showers.